Uh, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And then Revelation 21, verses 5 through 7 says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that in these next few moments together, as we jump into this brand new series, He Shall Be Called, as we explore these wonderful, beautiful names of Jesus, pray that over these next four weeks, the four Sundays of Advent, that you would just begin to stir in our heart a deeper longing and desire for you. Lord, may you increase our love and our passion for you. Lord, may you, throughout these weeks, throughout this Advent season, I pray and hope that you will challenge our hearts and our lives so that we would better reflect the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for every person in this room, myself included. I pray that we will walk out of this place different than how we came in because we've encountered the living presence of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, help me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity, and God, help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. How, how many of you are still, still a little bit recovering from your Thanksgiving? <laughs> I heard some groans. I heard <laughs> some, some noises out there. I think all of us are still trying to recover uh, from the Thanksgiving weekend, but I pray and hope that each of you had a blessed uh, holiday weekend and and I don't know if it feels this way for you. It does for me. Um, the Sunday before and the Sunday after Thanksgiving feels like an eternity between those two Sundays, um, from my, I get, at least from my perspective. So uh, even though it was the same amount of time, I was really looking forward to being together with, uh, with you all this morning and uh, being able to worship together as we begin uh, this Advent season. Advent is, is one of my favorite times of the year. I love this season. As I said earlier, it's a time where I hope uh, you as individuals and you as families have an opportunity at some level to kind of pause and to slow down. I know there is the hustle and bustle of, of getting gifts and, and Black Friday, making sure that we get everything that we need to get on sale at an, at an incredible rate. But I do want to encourage you over these next four weeks during this Advent season to find time to slow down. Uh, to be still, to pause, and to reflect on really the significance and the meaning of this time of year. I know it's easy for this time to pass by quickly. It's easy for us to move on from what we refer to as Advent, the coming of Christ. But I just want to encourage each of you, those that are listening online, to find time in this Advent season with your family to just really be still, to pause, to, to kind of get away from the, the hustle and bustle and all of the noise around you and to find time to just really be still in God's presence. We have you know, devotionals that can kind of guide uh, your time during this Advent season. There's family activities that we provided for you to, as a family to kind of gather around this season and to recall why it is so 
important. So I just want to encourage you as your pastor, and, and I'm telling myself that because this is a busy season uh, for us as well, but I, I want our family to find time to just really be together to encourage time together during this Advent season. Today we're going to begin a brand new series called He Shall Be Called. Really, this is a continuation of our Advent series from last year, and over the next few weeks we're going to explore some of the new names of Jesus. I want to read this to you. While waiting in a Nazi prison cell in 1943, a few weeks before Advent, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a friend, and he said, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside, is not a bad picture of Advent. Shortly after penning these, those words, the Nazis actually executed Bonhoeffer, but he was right. The door of freedom for him and for us today is still opened from the outside by the coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Folks, the door of freedom, freedom from sin and freedom from eternal separation from God is opened by Jesus's advent. Advent is a Latin word that just simply means his coming. And so that door has been opened. And as Linus said to Charlie Brown, this is what Christmas is all about. It's all about the coming of Christ over 2,000 years ago, but it's also about the anticipation and the expectation that I pray and I hope is on, is on every heart in this room as we look forward to the second return or the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This Advent season, we are going to turn our attention to Jesus, but more specifically, four names of Jesus that I believe will intensify the beauty and the wonder of Advents. Today we're going to look at Alpha and Omega. Next week we're going to look at Jesus as the Lamb of God. On December 11th we're going to look at Jesus as the way, truth, and life. And then finally on Sunday, December 18th, we're going to look at Jesus as the last Adam. And then when we gather on December 23rd or Sunday, December 25th, the same service, an hour-long service, we're going to look at Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to begin today just simply talking about this first name. He shall be called the Alpha and Omega. And this name reveals several things that I think will speak to us today. And that's really where I want to take us over the next few minutes together, examining what this name, Alpha and Omega, reveals to us as believers today. First of all, his name reveals that he, Jesus, alone is God and there is no one like him. Him. Now, Isaiah makes this point pretty loud and clear. If you go all the way back into the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4, keep in mind this is 700 years before Jesus Christ is even born. But listen to what the prophet Isaiah says Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am He. Just a few chapters later in chapter 44, verse 6, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies, I am the first and the last, there is no other God. 
And then just a few chapters later, listen to me, O family of Jacob, Israel, my chosen one. Listen to what the Lord says. I alone am God, the first and the last. By use of this name, first and last, what Isaiah is doing is Isaiah is highlighting that he, Jesus, God, is God alone. There is no other. This was certainly in alignment with the Jewish understanding or Judaism of the time. Because remember, the Jews, they were monotheistic in their religion. That means they worshiped one God, not multiple gods. Mono means one. And so they worshiped one God alone. There were no other gods that they worshiped. So this was in alignment with their understanding of who God was. There wasn't the God of the sun and the God of the stars and the God of the plants and the God of the seas. There was one God and one God alone. And we see that even when the law is given, remember when when God gives the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and and we have the 10 commandments, there is a very uh, strict indication that there is only one God and they are to serve him and him alone. They are to have what? No other gods before him or besides God alone. So this understanding that he alone is God was certainly in alignment with the Judaism understanding that there is one God, which is very important because in a world where in the world that they lived in, they were dominated by or surrounded by pluralistic religions where idols were carved by human hands. You could walk down every street corner and you could see an idol here and an idol there, especially when we get to the New Testament and you look at Paul's missionary journeys when he travels from place to place on every street corner, they would see another idol that's been fashioned and informed by human hands. And so this understanding that there is one God and he alone is God of the universe is key to our understanding. And his name, Alpha and Omega, first and last reveals that to us this morning that he alone is God. There is no other God. He is it, first and last, and we are to trust in him alone. So here's the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. Is God alone, the Alpha and the Omega, sitting on the throne of our hearts? Is God alone, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last? Is he sitting on the throne of our hearts? Or has he been displaced by someone or something else? I'm here to just simply remind us this morning that there is only room for one person or one thing to sit on the throne room of our hearts. There's not room for God and for for money and for people and for other relationships. There's only room for one. And my hope and my prayer for all of us this morning, I hope that one is Jesus. We cannot worship God and money and sports and entertainment. There's not room for all of those things. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we consider this first name of Jesus, Alpha and Omega, is he, is he indeed the Lord of your life? Is he indeed the one who is sitting on the throne of your hearts? Because if there's something else on the throne of your heart besides him, I'm here to tell you this morning, he's not there because there's not room to share space with God and with other things. It, it, it cannot happen. We cannot serve God and money. We cannot serve God in relationships. We cannot serve God and, 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 and entertainment. There's only room for one on the throne of our heart. And my question for us this morning, is it Jesus 
the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Secondly, his name reveals that he, Jesus, is more than able to keep us in all circumstances. How many, how many are thankful this morning that he's able to keep us, he's able to sustain us in all circumstances? This was a key message to the churches in Asia. Keep in mind, Revelation, John is, is recording this vision, but there are letters that are gonna be sent to the seven churches in Asia. And we need to keep in mind that these churches were experiencing incredible persecution and suffering by the emperor of Rome. And because of that suffering and persecution, these words that are penned by John, a vision that he receives from the Lord, and these letters that are being sent to the churches in Asia, they become an encouragement to these churches as they are reminded of who God is. Let's read it again in our text, Revelation chapter 1. So keep in mind, these are words that are being sent to, that are going to be read by these churches in Asia that are experiencing opposition, persecution, and suffering. But imagine hearing these words read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And then he ends really toward the end of Revelation. John pens these words and he said also, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life and all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. So John here, John is writing to Asian churches who are experiencing persecution, opposition and tribulation from the Roman emperor. So Jesus is announced, and I want you to get this, Jesus' announcement at the beginning of this letter in Revelation 1, verse 8, that announcement would be an encouragement to suffering Christians. Why? Because it revealed to them when they heard these words read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. What it does is it reveals to these suffering Christians in their circumstances that he was and is greater than any trial, past, present, and future. How many are thankful that Jesus is greater than any trial, past, present, and future? And that's what these words reveal to suffering Christians. And these same words reveal that same truth to us today. He is still the Alpha and the Omega. He is still the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Therefore, because of that, Jesus is greater than any circumstance, any trial, any opposition, any suffering, any persecution you and I may experience. Jesus is greater than those things in past, present, and future. And I'm thankful that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even after the emperor's reign would come to an end, Jesus would still be the one who is sitting on the throne guiding the course of human history. Because Jesus was greater than any emperor. Jesus is greater than any politician. Jesus is greater than any circumstance that you and I will ever experience. Therefore, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, his name reveals to us that he can keep us in every circumstance, in every hardship, and in every circumstance. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, he is able to keep us, he is able to sustain us, and he is able to strengthen us. I'm thankful that there is one that I can cling to in times of difficulty, 
Thankful that there is one who sits on the throne who is the same, who never changes. One who can sustain me when I'm weak. One who can, who can strengthen me when, when I need strength. And one who can encourage me when I need encouraged. And, and folks, we have a lot of people in our life that can do some of those things. You might have family members. You might have friends that can encourage you. You might have somebody that can sustain you for a season. You might have somebody that can speak words of edification over you and, and give you perspective. But at the end of the day, as human beings, we still fall short when it comes to offering encouragement and sustaining others. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne today, who is in control, I'm thankful that he is still in the business of sustaining you, encouraging you. Folks, you might be walking through a season right Right now, or a circumstance that on your own seems impossible to face. You might, you might have received um, a diagnosis or might have received information that's not favorable. And, and when you look at it from a human perspective and you think, man, I cannot face this on my own, I'm here to remind you, Jesus, Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and the end, he is the one who can sustain us and strengthen us and encourage us in those seasons of life. He did this and he does this all throughout the course of Scripture. If you go into the Old Testament, we see that when Israel is traveling through the wilderness, what does God do? He sustains them. How does he sustain them? He provides food for them in the wilderness. He, he provides manna. Remember, they're hungry. They don't have anything to eat. They just left Egypt where they had all the food at their disposal. They get into the wilderness and they're wandering and now they're complaining because they're hungry. So what does God do as he always does? He sustains us. He, he feeds us, not just physically, but spiritually. And he does that for Israel in the wilderness. He gives them food to eat. And what does he also do? He gives them water to drink. Remember, they, they strike the rock and there's water that comes forth from that rock. So in the wilderness, God sustains Israel with manna from heaven and water from the rock. Jesus, later on, as we move into the New Testament, we read in the gospel accounts, what does Jesus do? He, he sustains us. He invites us to do what? To drink living water and to feast on what? The bread of life. We are to feast on him. We are to, to drink from him. He is the one who will sustain us. And, and we see that in John chapter four, remember the, the woman at the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, and, and, and she was just there to go about her routine to get water from the well. And, and they, Jesus enters into this conversation with this woman. And, and he says, let me offer you water that you will never thirst for ever again. And, and this living water is something that I can give to you. And so he sustains us and invites us to drink of that living water and to feast on him the bread of life. We need to also keep in mind, folks, that in every circumstance, and maybe you need to hear this this morning, in every circumstance, our perspective is limited. We, we can't see the whole picture. I know sometimes we, we want the whole picture. We, we want full perspective. But from a human standpoint, we, we do not have a complete picture or a full perspective that we long for. But I want you to remember that God always has a larger plan and he has the full perspective that you and I long for. An example of this that I can think of, when you think about Moses in the Old Testament, Remember, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life in Egypt, and he grew up in, in, in Pharaoh's household. Uh, he learned the lay of the land. He learned the language. He was educated well at age 40. Remember, after um, he killed an Egyptian, what did he do? He, he fled, and he went into the wilderness. And so for 40 years, 
For 40 years, Moses spent time in the wilderness. And so now Moses is 80 years old. And and at age 40, I mean, certainly before he fled Egypt, there was probably a sense in Moses that he thought, all right, I'm 40. and, and, And he saw his people being treated badly. And he thought this must be the time that God's gonna use me, that he's gonna, that he's gonna use me to deliver these people from the bondage that they're in. And, and instead he acted on his own terms. Instead, he fled for 40 years in the wilderness. But we see from Moses's perspective, it probably, when he was spending year 41 and 42 and 50 and 60 and 70 and even year 80, he probably thought he was going to retire as a shepherd in the wilderness. I mean, from Moses's perspective, he, he, he probably already thought forgot about his people in Egypt and and thought at this point, you know what? This must be what God has in store for me. I tried to rescue the people and it didn't work out, but God had a different plan in place. And, and, And what we see in that is that in those first 40 years, God was equipping Moses to be the perfect deliverer to come back to rescue the people out of Egyptian bondage. So he spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and what better person to deliver Israel out of bondage and to lead them through the wilderness other than somebody who knew Pharaoh, who knew the Egyptian way, and somebody who knew the wilderness, who lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And so if if you were Moses just living your life, you would see that that perspective would not really come into play, but God had a bigger plan in place. We need to keep in mind That in our circumstances, God wants to sustain us and encourage us and strengthen us. But we need to remember our perspective is limited. God sees a much bigger picture. We can pray. We can ask for that revelation. God, give us a deeper revelation, a better understanding of what you're wanting to do in my life or in the life of my family. But just remember from a human perspective, our perspective is indeed limited. Number three. His name reveals, thirdly, that he is ultimately in control. How many of you in this room, I don't think I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this. I'm certain that there are several people in this room that like to be in control. Don't raise your hand. You know who you are. Spouses, you know who they are, <laughs> and I don't want you to raise your hand, but there are people in this room, we, we like control, but, but when it comes to our relationship with God, he, Jesus, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the, and the end, the first and the last, what it reveals to you and me in this name is that Jesus himself is ultimately in control, even when you think you are in control. Those of us, myself included in this room, that like to be in control, even when we think we have control, I just wanna remind you that there's still one that will usurp you and that has more control than you have, and that is Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. I wanna talk about this control. God's sovereign control, folks, it is displayed all throughout the biblical narrative. We, we see in scripture, this is what God does, and we see the control that he has. He uses godless nations, and I want you to, to see this. This is from the Old Testament, and I want you to, to work with me here. He uses godless nations, for example, Babylon, to bring judgment on the godlessness of his own people. If you have your Bibles with you, it's not gonna be up on the screen, but I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter five. Turn to Isaiah five, and I want you to see this because God does this time after time after time. He will use some of the most wicked, godless nations, and he will use them for a season to bring judgment upon other nations, Israel and Judah included, who are godless and wicked. 
And, and so it seems like Babylon gets the picture that, oh man, we must be in control. Do, little do they realize that God's gonna bring judgment on them as well. And God is just using them as a vessel to bring his judgment upon God's people. And if you read through the Old Testament, if you read through the prophets, if you read through Isaiah, you read through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, even into the minor prophets, you will get a glimpse of this. Time after time, it, it looks like that Babylon is really in control or Persia is really in control, but really God is just orchestrating his larger plan and he is ultimately in control. In Isaiah chapter five, just look at these few verses. I wanna give you this picture. Verses 26 through 30, it says, he will send a, send a signal to distant nations far away and whistle to those at the ends of the earth. They will come racing toward Jerusalem. They will not get tired or, uh, tired or stumble. They will not stop for rest or sleep. Not a belt will be loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows will be sharp and their bows ready for battle. Sparks will fly from their horses' hooves and the wheels of their chariots will spin like a whirlwind. They will roar like lions, like the strongest of lions, growling like they will pounce on their victims and carry them off and no one will be there to rescue them. They will roar over their victims on that day of destruction like the roaring of the sea. If someone looks across the land, only darkness and distress will be seen. Even the light will be darkened by clouds. We get just a picture here that God will bring his judgment and he will use these people. We also see that he's in control. Let's fast forward a little bit to the New Testament in the incarnation of Jesus. When the word, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That's what this season is all about. The word becoming flesh, Jesus coming in the form of a babe. And we see that Jesus is in control, even in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, because he comes, as scripture says, at just the right time. How many are thankful for God's perfect timing, amen? And we see that in scripture. Look at Galatians chapter four. Look at verses four and five. Listen to what Paul says. But when the right time came, and I don't have time to get into the, the circumstances of the right time, but let me just tell you, historically speaking, it, it's pretty awesome because at just the right time when there were roads to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, when, the, when certain groups were in power, at just the right time, when the right time came, what did God do? He sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. If that doesn't scream, God is in control, I don't know what does. And so we see that his name, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last, reveals to you and me that he is in, indeed, he is in control. And at just the right time, God sent, God sent forth his son. We know that his kingdom is unshakable and unmovable. Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 12, verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. That gives us and gives you and gives me confidence that all of history, past, present, and future, they are perfectly in the hands of Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This reality is also emphasized, and I want you to see this, in the name Alpha and Omega. This may not be a name that we use as often for Jesus or we don't talk about as often, but I want you to see the significance of Alpha and Omega because I think this will drive home the point that once again, he ultimately is in control. A couple things to keep in mind. First of all, the Greek people, uh, how many of you like history this morning? How many of you despise history? 
<laughs> okay, stay with me for a few moments. Those of you that despise it, let me, I, I, I want to give you the context here. Greeks would sometimes use symbolic letters to represent their deities, their gods. They would use various letters of their alphabet to represent their different gods. Remember, they were pluralistic in their religion. They served multiple gods. But what John does is clever, and he uses the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, alpha and omega, beginning and end, first and last. He uses the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet to describe God as the first and the last, as the beginning and the end. Jews would also do the same sometimes with the Hebrew alphabet. They would use the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, not Olive, my daughter, but Aleph, and then they would use the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Tav, to describe their understanding of God as first and last, beginning and end. But here's what I want you to see. You're like, who cares about the alphabet? It's important, all right? I want you to see this. This not only emphasizes the first and last letters, but what it means is it represents every letter in between. And so if we were to describe to you, let, let, let's use the alphabet that we understand, A to Z. If we were to describe God with that understanding, not just alpha and omega, but A to Z, it doesn't just represent the first letter of the alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet, but every letter in between, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. And this says, and I want you to see this, this indicates to us that God, who is alpha and omega, beginning and end, first and last, he has complete control. We don't start with letter C to Z. We don't start with letter F to Z. We don't start with letter Y to Z. It's A to Z, alpha and omega, first and last, beginning and end. So everything in between indicates to you and me in this name that Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omega. It says to us that God is ultimately in control. I am thankful to know that I serve somebody who is ultimately in control, who sees the whole picture. Even when my perspective is limited, I can know with confidence and certainty, even if I don't understand that he is in control and that he has a larger plan that he is working. Listen to what Robert Mount said. He says, this title sets forth God as the sovereign Lord over everything that takes place in the entire course of human history. The human mind, I want you to see, the human mind is a wonderfully complex organ. Our brains can actually process a group of words, even if they are spelled totally incorrectly. For example, I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to follow along. This, uh, there, there's not typos on here, all right? This was intentional, all right? But I want to read this out loud to you, and I want you to follow along with me. The human mind is a wonderfully complex or organ, you see? It doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word appear. The only important thing is that the first and last letter are in the right place. The rest can be a total mess and you can still read it without a problem. This is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. Amazing, isn't it? As you read that, we see, okay, that makes sense. Alpha and omega, A to Z, and everything in between. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in totality, he has complete control. Oftentimes, our lives in the world around us don't seem to make sense. There are even times when everything's, everything seems to be a total mess. But when we take a step back and we remember that God is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, we can rest assured that one day, it will all become perfectly 
clear. How does Paul say it? Paul says, we, we look through a glass dimly now. We, we don't see the whole picture. It's not clear, but one day when we see him face to face, we will have perfect, clear perspective in all matters that we've encountered. His name speaks directly to us today, folks. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last. That name speaks to us in powerful ways. Folks, the nation around us may be politically, financially, and spiritually unraveling, but since he is before all things and he outlasts all things, then he still remains in control. Your present circumstances may feel chaotic and confusing. Your past may be sordid and messy, but Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, is still in control, and he's not done working. He's not through. He's not finished until we breathe our last. God is still in control, and his kingdom, and I'm thankful for this, his kingdom cannot be shaken. Finally, number four, his name reveals to us, and I think this is key, the name Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last, reveals to you and me that nothing surprises him. Nothing comes to him by surprise. Now, that either may excite you or scare you. Because sometimes we might think we're fooling somebody. We're not fooling God. Nothing comes to him by surprise. But at the same time, when we're walking through a difficult circumstance or situation, we can find joy and encouragement in this truth, knowing that even my circumstance that came to me by surprise does not surprise the one who is on the throne. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This, folks, this was a message that the persecuted church of Asia needed to hear, and it's a message that we still need to hear today. Again, Revelation 1.8, I want to read it again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is and who always was and who is still to come, the Almighty One. God exists, and this is hard for our human brains to even understand, but God, he exists outside of time and space. And so obviously we are inside time, we are inside space, and so we operate kind of on this linear fashion, like, oh, you know, in four weeks we're gonna be celebrating Christmas. Okay, in a year this is gonna happen, in five years. Well, God operates outside of this bubble of time and space that you and I are in. That speaks of his transcendence. Now, when he came, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He stepped into that. He stepped into our brokenness. He stepped into our, our linear time. He stepped into all of those things things, but God still exists above and beyond time and space. He is transcendent. Therefore, because of that, this means that he sees all and he knows all, not within the context of time like you and I operate, but because he operates outside of that, nothing surprises him. Again, that may scare us or that may excite us knowing that there is one who is not surprised by any circumstance at all. Your trial your circumstances, good and bad, they do not come as a surprise to Jesus. They may surprise you. You may get news that, that just throws you off your rocker and totally surprises you and your family, but the reality is nothing comes as a surprise to Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. Now, I want you to hear this this morning. At the same time, he doesn't promise to necessarily wipe away the trial or the circumstances now. But he does promise to be present in our trial, 
present in our circumstances. That's what this season is all about. The Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, he is present. He is God with us. He is present even in our most difficult times. You are not alone. You may feel alone. You may have lost somebody that you love recently, and this season may be difficult for you. But be reminded that you are not alone. Jesus Christ is present. He is with you to encourage you and remind you of his faithfulness. I want to end with just the last few statements here, and this is very important, and I want you to grasp this. Ancient deities of those people that worship multiple gods were often known for sleeping or being ignorant. Let me give you an example. Remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Go read that in 1 Kings chapter 18 sometime. It's a wonderful story. It's a humorous story. But I want to give you a glimpse here of what is occurring. Remember, Elijah is in this contest with his God and, and the prophets of Baal and their 300 different gods and all the different gods they worship. And, and they're trying to determine who's going to call down fire from heaven, who's going to respond, who's going to hear and, 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 and consume the sacrifice or, or the, the wood that's been placed around um, uh, the top of the, the mountain here. And so this is what, um, I'm not giving you the whole picture, but I just want you to see how Elijah responds to the so-called gods of the prophets of Baal. Listen to what happens. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. wakened. And so Elijah here essentially is mocking the so-called gods of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings. Go read the story yourself. This is straight out of scripture. And, and, and so there is this sense that the ancient deities, typically their gods were known for, for sleeping or, or being ignorant of what was going on. But here's what I want us to be reminded of. Our God never sleeps. Look at Psalm 121, verses three through four. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. How many are thankful that our God never slumbers, never sleeps? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, over 2,000 years ago, he stepped into human history to rescue us, the human race, from the miry clay, to set our feet upon the rock and make a way for us to spend eternity in his glorious presence. His first advent occurred over 2,000 years ago, but folks, he is returning again. He is coming back. And so my question for us this morning, worship team, if you want to come, my question for us this morning is are we ready for the second advent? Are we ready for the return of Jesus Christ? His name, Jesus, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and last, reveals to us so many beautiful truths. Reminds us this morning that nothing comes to him by surprise. Though our circumstances may be a surprise and a shocker to us, it's not to him. His name, Alpha and Omega, reveals to you and me this morning that our God is in control. 
Even though our perspective is limited, he sees the big picture. He knows the big picture. He understands. He sees what we don't see. His ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts are much greater than our thoughts. His name reveals to us this morning that he is able to keep you and me in every circumstance. He sustains us. He strengthens us. He encourages us when we need it most. So he came. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He came over 2,000 years ago to, to open the door from the outside to set you and me free, free from sin and free from spending eternity apart from God. But he also set you and me free to serve him freely, to worship him freely, to honor him freely.